podcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on April 16th, 2017, on the basis of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. One week from tomorrow, a book is going to be released that I'm guessing will get quite a bit of publicity. The book is written by a woman named Cheryl Sandberg. If you don't recognize that name, Cheryl is the COO of Facebook, so the only person higher than her is Mark Zuckerberg himself. She's the COO of Facebook, and a couple years back, she wrote another book that gained quite a bit of attention and publicity. It was entitled Lean In. Spent a lot of time on the bestseller list, and if if I were a betting man, I would guess that this second book of hers will too. But this second book isn't about anything that Sandberg has learned from all of her success in business. This, this second book is actually all about grief. See, just under two years ago, Sandberg and her husband were vacationing down in Mexico. They were at one of these exclusive and secluded $13,000 a night resorts when all of a sudden her husband's heart failed and he died. So this book is, is about the last two years of her life. It's about finding joy and comfort in a time of great loss. It's about perseverance and resilience in the face of adversity. And, and I would guess that Sandberg's story for, for dealing with a tragedy like this will be viewed as a success story. And yet, as far as I can tell, which admittedly isn't a whole lot, everything that she has done to try and cope with this tragedy has failed. And the reason I can say that is this. You see, at Facebook, Sandberg has a a conference room that is made out entirely of glass walls, so everyone, everyone can see in at all times. And yet every now and then, Sandberg needs to grab that little remote that lowers down the thick black curtains that cover up each and every one of those windows so that she can just cry. Now that, of course, isn't the problem. That's natural, that's expected. We'd even say that's good and healthy. Really, the problem is the thought that gets her there. The thought that more than any other causes her to be overwhelmed with grief is the thought that no matter what she does, no matter how she tries to cope with it, no matter how much she tries to move on, she knows that she cannot give her children back their father. It's the power of death. Here you have this billionaire woman. She has a high-profile, high-power job. She has recognition. She has status. All of those things that we like to tell ourselves, if we had them, we would be permanent and invincibly happy all the time. Well, she has them. But then death comes knocking, and none of it matters. Now death is like this horrible monster that is by her side each and every day just taunting her. Like, what? What are you going to do? What do you have that can possibly replace or bring back what I have taken away? It's the power of death, friends. Which really leaves people then with two options. We can ignore that. We can, we can put that off. We can pretend that that's not true. We can distract ourselves with our busyness and our children and our families and our fun and our entertainment. 
And we can pretend that the happiness and the joy that we find in those things cannot be taken from us at a moment's notice, even though Sandberg's story is just one of many examples to the contrary. Or we can deal with it. We can find a solution. The ironic thing is, is that at that conference room, in that conference room in which Sandberg retreats to surrender to her grief, there is a little plaque outside the front door, one that Sandberg herself put there. And on the plaque, it simply says this, only good news. Only good news is allowed through the door of that conference room. And there's a truth in there that I'm guessing Sandberg doesn't even realize. Yes, it is only good news that can solve the problem that she retreats behind those curtains in surrender to. Only good news. I don't know if you realize this, but the, the glass door that you walked through this morning, it also says good news. And far more important than that today is Easter. And when it comes to the kind of good news that can overcome even a problem like death and a tragedy like the one she went through, Easter is where it all starts. In fact, that's what we're talking about today, that everything starts with Easter or ends without it. And as we look at that Easter message today, we're going to see two seemingly obvious and simple things, and yet two things that are deeply profound we're going to see that the good news of Easter is, in fact, news, and it is, in fact, good. Simple enough, right? So here's the Easter message as Paul records it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Short, simple, to the point, right? But can we really call it news? A nice story, maybe, a tall tale, perhaps, something that people who are gullible and desperate are willing to believe, but news? There's a whole lot that could be said in defense of the fact that Jesus' resurrection from the dead actually happened. Just from these verses in front of us this morning, two things that you need to know. First of all, as Paul composed this Easter message, he wasn't making it up on the fly. In fact, he says, I am simply reminding you of the very thing that I've already told you. In other words, when Paul first came to the city of Corinth to start the church there, to proclaim the message of Christianity, this is exactly the same message that he brought. And he takes it a step further by saying, what I had shared with you, what I passed on to you, I had received from someone else. So you start putting some pretty good dates on these events. You've got the writing of this letter, 1 Corinthians, sometime before that, Paul's visit to the city of Corinth, sometime before that, when Paul himself received this message. And pretty soon you've got what most scholars agree is a very early Christian creed. In fact, perhaps the earliest statement of the Christian faith that still survives to this day, even earlier than the writing of the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life. These words were probably used by Christians within just a couple of years after Jesus' death. I'll tell you why that's important in just a second. So first of all, where this message originated, 
Second of all, the content of the Easter message. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose. Now, of those three, obviously the last one is kind of the important one, right? I mean, people die all the time, people are buried all the time, but did someone who was really dead really come back to life? That's why Paul says more. That's why that Christian creed included more. It says, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the, the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also. Here's what all of this means. Let's say I wanted to make up a story. Would it be easier for me to make up a story about someone like George Washington or someone like Muhammad Ali? If you think about it, it'd be a whole lot easier to make up a story about George Washington because he lived so long ago, there's nobody around today who could prove that, that my story is untrue. So maybe you've turned on the History Channel and you've seen one of these specials that that gives the impression that the first time Christians started saying that Jesus had risen from the dead was around 300 AD, which is almost the same distance between us and George Washington. It's complete nonsense. Christians were saying that Jesus had risen from the dead right from the moment his life came to an end. And then, and then just in case people weren't willing to believe it, they, they provided a list of people that you could talk to. Go and talk to this person and this person and this person. And in case you don't know anything about the people who are on that list, you should know that these are people who had the least reason to be spreading a story about Jesus that was not true. They had absolutely no ulterior motive for doing this if it were, in fact, not true. With this early statement of faith, really what the Christians were doing was giving skeptical people an opportunity to do something that is still very important to us today, to fact check, to fact check this message that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, with this Christian creed, they were inviting skeptical people to fact check the living daylights out of this story. If there were any chance that it was not true, it would have been proven false. Christianity itself never would have gotten off the ground. You and I would not be here today. This would not be a day worth celebrating anything. Everything started with Easter and would have ended without it. Now, why does that matter? Well, let's say you go through one of those moments like Sheryl Sandberg went through, one of those stop-you-dead-in-your-tracks, punch-you-right-in-the-gut moments. Would you ever think to yourself, you know what? I remember this story that my granny read me when I was just a little boy, and it was about this cute little bunny rabbit who lost his way. Aww. But then just as everything seemed hopeless, sure enough, he hop, hop, hopped his way right back home, and everything turned out great in the end. I don't know about you, but I feel a whole lot better. Are you kidding me? To have something that is even more powerful than death, we don't need a nice story. We don't need a tall tale. We need news. And the message of Easter is exactly that. So what makes it such good news? I mean, news happens all the time, right? What makes this such good news? Well, 
Really, that's the subject of, of the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But even in these verses, even in this short Christian creed, we get little hints at what makes this such good news. First of all, did you notice that twice Paul says that these things happened according to Scripture? So Jesus didn't simply die. He wasn't simply buried. He didn't simply rise. He did all of those things according to Scripture. He did all of those things according to the plan. What that means is that everything that Scripture tells us about Jesus and everything that Jesus said about himself is, in fact, true. It also means that every single promise that Jesus makes to you is trustworthy and reliable. We go back to that list of people that, that Paul mentions. You should know something about those people. First of all, you had Peter. Peter, who the night before Jesus died, right as Jesus needed him most, could not even admit that he knew Jesus. You've got James, the half-brother of Jesus, who at one point actually thought Jesus was insane and was telling people that about him. Finally, you have Paul. Paul who persecuted Christians. Paul who had people who believed in Jesus thrown in jail. Easter means that even sins like that are forgiven. Easter means that the payment Jesus made on the cross for the sins of the whole world, for your sins too, was sufficient. Jesus' death on the cross was the payment. His resurrection from the grave is the receipt. Finally, Paul mentions those 500 brothers and sisters who saw Jesus. He says some of them are still alive, but some of them have fallen asleep. That's what death is now. It's asleep. Death has been brought to its knees. It has been robbed of its power. It has been robbed of its sting. Death is now nothing more than asleep. You too will rise up from your grave. That's what makes this news so good. And so it's no wonder why Paul says what he says about our response to that news. First of all, notice that he doesn't say that we need to believe in that news. Paul doesn't say that we need to believe in Easter because believing in Easter would be like believing in the fact that George Washington was the first president of the United States. You don't need to believe it because it just is. You don't need to believe in Easter, but you need to believe Easter, and there's an important difference between those two. Lots of times I think we, we think that faith is simply saying yes to certain things. Faith is a little bit different than that, and Paul uses two metaphors to describe what faith in Easter, believing Easter, really means. First of all, faith is like a hand that reaches out and grabs onto something. So you're dangling above a thousand-foot cliff. The thing that you have faith in is the thing that you reach out and grab onto and hold onto with all your might, hold onto for dear life. That's believing something. Secondly, Paul says that believing something is like standing on it. In other words, it's not just one of many relatively insignificant things going on in your life, one of many balls that you're trying to juggle in the air all at the same time. No, the thing that you believe is the thing that you are standing on, the thing that the rest of your life is built upon. Paul's saying that because Easter is good news, you can't have a moderate reaction to it. You can either hold on to it for dear life or you can throw it away completely. 
You can either stand on it or you can kick it to the curb. What you can't do is something in between. And I think that's important for us to hear because I think that's so often what we want to do. We want to react to Easter somewhere in between. We want to take our Christian faith and and rather than it being that thing that we hold on to for dear life, the thing that we stand on and that everything else in our life is based on and built on, we kind of turn it into, well, just another hobby that we have. It's not as important as our, as our work. It's not as important as our family. It's kind of down here somewhere else competing against things like fishing trips, camping, packer games, sports, competing against all of those things and often losing to those things. We turn Christianity into just another hobby. Friends, don't make Christianity a hobby. Two reasons for that. One, as I heard another pastor say, as far as hobbies go, Christianity would be the lamest hobby anyone could possibly have. I mean, if you are just trying to fill the last 5% of your life because you're a little bit bored, get a puppy. Christianity would be the worst hobby ever. But secondly, Christianity can't be your hobby because Christianity is news that is good. And I can't think of a better way to illustrate that than to tell you the, sto- the, the title of Sheryl Sandberg's book. So the title of the book comes from an incident that happened just a couple of weeks after her husband died. There was some sort of family event at her kids' school, a father-daughter dance or something like that. And so one of her good friends volunteered to go with her kids. One of her good friends volunteered to fill in. Sandberg kind of resisted and said, eh, it just, just wouldn't be the same. So the friend responded, option A is no longer available to us, so let's make the best of option B. Option B is the name of the book. Friends, if not for Easter, if we aren't holding on for dear life to Easter and standing on Easter, then the best we could hope for, the best we can make of our lives is to try and make the best of option B. Don't settle for that. God didn't settle for that. God didn't look out at a world of sinful people and say, okay, now that you can't be perfect, I guess if you just do your best, give it the old college try and that'll be good enough. No, Easter means that we can stand holy and perfect before God just as he intended us to be. God didn't look at a creation that was ruined. He didn't look at a world that is full of death and say, oh, well, I guess that's a lost cause. But what I'll do is I'll I'll provide a heaven that is kind of like this nebulous spiritual place and I will rescue their souls and their souls can live eternally in heaven even though their bodies will just be piled onto the trash heap of history. No, Easter means that heaven is like this. Heaven is flesh and blood. Just like it is today, only so much better. Easter means that children who have lost their fathers and wives who have lost their husbands will get them back. Easter means that rather than death taunting us, we get to taunt death. That even as we mourn and cry and grieve over what death has done in our world, we get to stand there, stare death in the eye and say, what? 
what are you going to do? What can you take away from me that my Jesus cannot give me back? Friends, if not for Easter, making the best of option B would be our best hope. But because of Easter, option A hasn't gone anywhere. Hold on for dear life and enjoy every minute of it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.